For our applicatory sermon, we turn to Ephesians chapter 4. As you have perhaps noticed, I have been preaching a series through this chapter, and probably into the next chapter, and maybe even to the end of the book, as this is the practical section of Ephesians, and it fits very well for applicatory. Ephesians chapter 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him, and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, For we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. We read God's word that far. Focus our attention on verses 17 through 21 today. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, 
that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, in this portion of the epistle of Paul to the Ephesians, as I mentioned earlier, he exhorts us to respond to the gospel of our salvation in Christ by living the Christian life. That's verse 1 of the chapter. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. In the first 16 verses of this chapter, which we have already considered, the Apostle exhorts us to walk in humility, meekness, patience, and love with each other within the church as we endeavor to keep the precious unity that we have in Christ and as we seek to promote the spiritual growth and edification of the church by serving each other and edifying each other in love. So the focus is on the Christian life within the church. Now, beginning in verse 17, although he does not leave that part behind, he transitions into a lengthy set of exhortations. And he continues that into chapter 5 and into chapter 6. And in this section, which begins in our text, and our text is a kind of introduction to it, he sets forth to the Ephesians and to us the kinds of bad attitudes and behaviors that we need to put away and put out of our lives, and also the kind of good attitudes and good behaviors that we have to put on in our lives and cultivate. So he begins this section in our text with the words, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, verse 17. Obviously, he is transitioning into a new section, and he is going to set down some specific exhortations. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. He speaks to them with authority. He speaks to them as an apostle. As one of the apostles whom Christ gave to the church, according to verse 11, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. In his position as apostle, with the authority of the Lord himself, he says, this is what I say to you, this is what I testify to you. And I do the same this afternoon. I'm not an apostle, but I am a pastor And as we read in verse 11, Christ also gave pastors and teachers to the church for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry and edification. So as your pastor, whom Christ has given and sent to you, this is what I say to you, and this is what I testify to you in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what the apostle and I say that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. So we'll take as our theme, walk not as the ungodly walk. Let's notice, first of all, the ungodly walk of the unconverted. In the second place, the conversion of you who have heard Christ. And thirdly, what you have not learned from Christ. The Apostle says in the text, This I say and testify in the Lord, that ye not walk as other Gentiles walk. The ones 
to whom he was writing were mostly Gentiles. They were Gentile Christians. And he's saying to them, you must not walk as the other Gentiles walk. You are Gentile Christians. You must not walk, you must not live the way Gentile unbelievers live and walk. And that's what the text says to us today, that we must not live the way the ungodly, unconverted, unbelieving people in our society live. People that we observe almost every day, whether it's on the television or on YouTube or on Netflix or whether we hear them through our ear pods, our earbuds, our earphones, or whether we encounter them at school or at work or in our neighborhood. This is what we must know. We must not walk the way they walk. The apostle is saying, your life must be different from their lives, and it must look different from their lives. In the text, the apostle indicates what the life and walk of the ungodly is like. And he begins by rooting it in the depraved nature of their minds and hearts, because the way people live flows out of the way they are in their hearts and in their minds. And he lists several phrases that indicate how depraved and corrupt the fallen children of Adam are who have not yet been converted to Christ. Notice, first of all, he says that they walk in the vanity of their mind. What he means is that the unregenerated people around us, their minds are factories of vanity. Their minds manufacture nothing but vanity. Their minds produce vain thoughts, vain hopes, and vain dreams. Because their minds fixate upon things which amount to nothing at all apart from God. If you don't have God in your life, these things upon which their minds fixate and become infatuated with are nothing. Things like gaining more money and gaining prestige and pleasure in the world and having fun. All of these things come to nothing because we lose them all when we die. Vanity. In the vanity of their minds, they live. In the second place, he says that they have their understanding darkened. The understanding, which is another word for their mind, their understanding is darkened. The ironic thing is that many of them claim to be enlightened, especially in this world today, in this modern world, many of the ungodly, unconverted people around us claim to be enlightened. They claim that we live in an enlightened age through science and technology and all the rest. But the fact of the matter is, their minds and understandings are just as dark as the heathen in the days of Paul. They boast that they walk in the light, but in their minds, they do not understand the truth about the world, the truth about life, the truth about meaning and purpose, the truth about reality and morality. Because when the light of the world shined, these men of darkness comprehended it not. They did not understand that Christ is the Lord and Savior. They do not understand his supreme worth and value. When God himself shines his light from heaven through the general revelation in his creation and through the special revelation of the scriptures, they don't understand it. Their minds are darkened. They don't believe in him. They don't adore him. They don't worship him. They don't see God as their greatest treasure and their greatest pleasure but they only believe what they see, and they only worship the creature. They worship the universe. They worship their idols. When God shines the light of how we are to live, the way we are to walk 
in the Scriptures and in the conscience of man, and he makes plain what is good and evil, what is right and wrong. Their understanding is darkened. They reject it, and they do what is right in their own eyes. They form their own morality. They say, let us eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. They say, let us live how we please. Let each man or woman do whatever is pleasing to him. Do whatever makes you happy, because you only have one life to live. And so they set down their darkened morality. In the third place, the apostle says that they are alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. And there the apostle shows the deepest root of all of their ungodliness, their heart. The heart is the deepest center of a man or a woman. It is the core of your spiritual life from which all of your thoughts and feelings and desires and beliefs flow. And the apostle says that with regard to the unconverted, their hearts are blind. And that word for blindness there has the idea of being covered over with a thick skin or callous. Imagine if your eyes were covered over with a thick skin. You can't see anything. You're utterly blind. They have blindness of heart. Their hearts are unable to see the truth about the things that matter the most. And because of that blindness in the depths of their heart, there is ignorance in them. That ignorance that the Apostle mentions in verse 18 is not an excusable ignorance. There is some ignorance that is excusable. There are things that we don't know. We are ignorant of those things because we never learned them. But that's not what he's talking about here when he speaks of their ignorance. He's talking about a willful ignorance. The truth is right in front of their eyes, but they are blind to it. They don't see it, and so they are ignorant of it, meaning they refuse to see it. They refuse to believe it, and they refuse to worship the God who created them. And so the apostle says they are alienated from the life of God. They are aliens when it comes to the life of God. If living with God was a place, they are aliens from that place. They don't live in that sphere. They don't live in that space which is the space where there is life with God. Now, it's true, of course, they live in the world just like we do. They live all around us. They live right next to us. And they do have some life from God. They live, they breathe, they eat, they drink, they move, they sleep. They have bodily life. But they don't have spiritual life. They don't have that life which God gives to those whom he chooses. They don't have the life which he gives through the wonder of regeneration. They are dead. The apostle wants us Christians to remember this. He wants us to know this about the other Gentiles, about the other people who live in society with us and next to us who are outside of Christ, who are not yet converted. The people we observe on television, in the movies, in the music. The canons of Dort, our fathers before us, taught us the very same thing as the Apostle in Heads 3 and 4, Article 1. We are to remember about the unconverted man He is infected with blindness of mind, horrible darkness, vanity, and perverseness of judgment. He is wicked, rebellious, and obdurate in heart and will, and impure in his affections. That's the depraved condition of those who are lost. 
And because of that depraved condition, the apostle goes on to describe their way of life. Verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Because of the depravity of their hearts and the blindness of their minds, the apostle describes how in such a society men degenerate into the worst kinds of evil. They give themselves over to it until they are past feeling. When he says they are past feeling, what he means is they are not even able anymore to feel a little bit of regret, a little bit of guilt and shame or remorse for the things that they do. They are beyond that. They are past that. They have become callous to that. They have silenced their consciences. They have deceived themselves. And they are very comfortable in the cesspool of iniquity. This is their comfort zone. This is their norm. They have given themselves over, the apostle says. Which means that they have thrown off all restraints. If there were any social restraints in this society, they have thrown them off. And more and more they throw them off if there were any religious restraints, if there were any political restraints, if there were any legal restraints, more and more they throw off these restraints and they give themselves over to all manner of sin. When God speaks in their conscience and says no, they silence that conscience. They stuff it down. They suppress it. When the church says that's wrong, They scoff at the church, mock the church, and they push the church to the fringes of society. When the laws of the land say that's illegal, then they work their way into politics until they can change the laws and revolutionize society so that they can give themselves over more and more and more to the debauched thoughts and plans of their hearts. And the apostle says they have given themselves over, first of all, to lasciviousness. That word refers to any kind of unrestrained immorality. Often we use that term in reference to unrestrained sexual immorality. But it refers to any kind of wild, reckless abandon with which people give themselves over to the lusts of their flesh. He says they have given themselves over to work all uncleanness. And the word uncleanness simply refers to any kind of sinful activity from this point of view, that it makes you unclean. It makes you gross. It makes you filthy. It makes you stinking and putrid before the eyes and nostrils of the God in heaven. They give themselves over to that uncleanness. And they give themselves over to it with greediness. And the word greediness we often associate with the pursuit of money. But here it could simply refer to the pursuit of any kind of pleasures or treasures of this life. They give themselves with greediness to the pursuit, the obsessive, infatuated pursuit of the pleasures and treasures, the prestige, the fame, whatever it is that they want, and whatever it is that they worship instead of God. It's a very grim portrayal that the apostle gives of the unconverted world and how it degenerates all around us. We could give multitudes of examples. We see it in our society today. The ungodly who are outside of Christ today are past feeling and they give themselves over to blasphemy. They take God's name, God's name upon their lips with no conscience whatsoever, it seems. They curse and swear and profane and take God's name in vain, just as if it's like breathing in the air and breathing it out. The sexual immorality to which our society gives itself over with reckless abandon. 
with greediness. They move into all kinds of uncleanness from one partner to another partner, from one bed to another bed, from one gender to another gender, from one pornographic video to the next, from one woman to another, from men to another man, men with men, women with women, overturning God's natural order, and they give themselves over to it. They terminate unwanted pregnancies. They terminate unwanted marriages in divorce. And the movie makers shamelessly glory in it and promote it in the movies and in the programs. The music makers fill the sound waves with all manner of songs that delight in the glorification of sexual debauchery, fornication, adultery, divorce, remarriage, abortion. There is the oppression of the weak that is found among the unconverted. There are predators who lust after the vulnerable, who seek after those who have no power, the poor, the widows, the children, the little ones, and they prey upon them. They seek after them. They gratify their lusts upon them with reckless abandon. They seduce them in secret to the torment of their souls. They give themselves over to drunkenness, to revelry, to drugs, to all kinds of pleasures. They dance the night away in the darkness of the bar, in the smokiness of the tavern, to the sound of lust-inducing, sin-promoting music. They dishonor those in authority, their parents, their grandparents, their rulers, their employers. They have no use for the honor of authority, but they drag them down and trash their names. They give themselves with reckless abandon to the pursuit of money. They bet, they gamble, they go to the casino, They spend a little money and then a lot of money to try to make money without working for it. They engage in shady business practices. They selfishly hoard their money. They're full of wrath, anger, malice. And all of it is glorified on the television. And that's only just scratching the surface. of the kind of lasciviousness, uncleanness, and greediness to which the ungodly give themselves over until they become past feeling. The apostle says, this is what I say and testify in the Lord, that ye not walk as they walk. They walk in all manner of ungodliness, but ye have not so learned Christ, he says. At this point, we have to be reminded of what the apostle has reminded the Ephesians earlier in this epistle. That dark and gloomy description is what you used to be. Ephesians 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. You were dead in trespasses and sins, just like them. You were by nature children of wrath, just like them, under the power of the prince of darkness, just like them. Just like them. You had the vanity of mind and the darkness of understanding. You were alienated from the life of God, ignoring the truth of God, blind to the light, and prone by nature to become as they are, to become past feeling and callous, to give yourselves over to all kinds of lasciviousness and uncleanness with greediness. That's what you were. 
In chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, he reminds them, in the past, you were Gentiles in the flesh. You were without Christ. You had no hope, and you were without God in the world. You are them. But you have learned Christ. You have been changed. This is all true of us. What the Apostle says about the Christians in the Ephesian church, we can't just say, well, that's because they were heathens and then they were converted to become Christians, but we grew up in the church. We never were heathens. But we have to recognize that that is what we are in ourselves by nature. And that nature that still clings to us is our old man of sin that we will talk about in a future sermon, which cleaves to us. And we still see that lasciviousness and uncleanness and greediness flow out of it. Thus, this is who we are apart from Christ. But we have learned Christ, the apostle says. Now, I understand that there are many people who hear the preaching of Christ, but have never learned Christ. There are people who grow up in the church. There are people who, from their earliest times, learn about Christ and hear about Christ and are taught things about him. They hear about the truth as it is in Jesus. They hear the preacher. They read the Bible. They hear the Bible read to them. They might go to catechism. They might go to Sunday school. But they have never learned Christ. They have never been taught by Christ. We understand that there are hypocrites in the church. There are people in the church who claim to be Christians, who say that they have faith, but they don't have any faith. They have a dead faith that doesn't produce any works. There are tears which the enemy plants in the wheat field. There are even wolves in sheep's clothing who wander about in the Christian world and try to pounce on and devour the sheep and the lambs. We know that. They have never learned Christ. They've heard the preaching, but they've never been spiritually called in their hearts, and they don't have a living faith in Christ. And what the Apostle and I have to say to such is, learn Christ. Learn him. Hear his voice. His voice is, come to me. Repent of your sin. Come to me. Lay down your sin. Come to me. Believe. Trust in me as Lord and Savior. Because if you do not come to me, you will perish forever for your sins. Learn Christ. But the apostle in the text is not speaking to them. He is speaking to us who have been converted. Ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. If so be, if you are one of those who have heard him. You haven't just heard the preacher You haven't just heard the reading of the Bible. You've heard him through the preacher. You've heard the voice of the shepherd. You've heard the voice of the Savior, the voice of Christ. You've heard Christ in the preaching. You've heard him speak to you personally. You've heard him call out to you personally. In your soul and your heart, you've heard him 
and your heart has been softened by that voice of Christ, by his spirit, so that you've come to him. And you've learned him. He's talking to us who have been converted by the grace of God to the preaching of the gospel of Christ. And he says to you, you have learned Christ. You've learned that Christ is truly God and truly man and perfectly righteous. That he is the only begotten Son of God who has lived from everlasting and will live to everlasting, but has come into this world and been born of the Virgin. And he is the only person in the whole world who is able to save you from your sins and from the damnation that you deserve. You've learned Christ. You've learned that Christ loved you and gave himself for you, gave his body to be broken and his blood to be shed, just as we saw in the bread and the wine and the cross. He gave his blessed body to be broken on the cross for you. You've learned that. You've learned that there on the cross, he atoned for your sins. He suffered the wrath of God that you deserved. And he atoned, he covered every single one of your sins that you've ever committed or that you will ever commit. And you've learned that being united to Christ by the Holy Spirit, you have received the righteousness of Christ by faith. So that in Christ, God has forgiven all your sins. You've heard him forgive your sins. You've experienced that forgiveness of your sins. You know yourself to be righteous. Righteous in Christ by faith. You have learned Christ, that he arose from the dead, that God didn't leave him in the grave, but he arose, he burst forth from the grave on the third day as the victor over death and the grave. And you've learned that you have been quickened together with Christ. You've been regenerated through the life that Christ received at his resurrection. And you've learned that in Christ, God promises to raise your body on the last day so that you don't fear death and you don't fear the grave. You've learned Christ, that he ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God and that there he is in heaven preparing a place for you in Father's house of many mansions. And you've learned that when your earthly life is finished, and you lay down your head in death, and you depart from this life, you're going to go to be with Christ in paradise. To live with him there, amidst all the angels, before the throne of God. You've learned, Christ, that you belong to him in body and soul, with your life and in death, that he's your faithful Savior, And that you have this great comfort that no matter what comes in this life, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, when you suffer afflictions, trials, loss, pain, fear, anxiety, you belong to Christ. He's with you. And you have this comfort. Don't walk as the other Gentiles walk. The apostle says, you have not so learned Christ. The Gentiles give themselves over to lasciviousness and uncleanness with greediness. Greedily, they pursue the lusts of their flesh. But you have not so learned Christ. Some have so learned Christ. That is, some have learned that caricature of Christ, which is another Christ, which is no Christ. And the apostle is aware of that. 
The Apostle Paul knows very well that there are creeping here and there throughout the churches false, wily teachers who raise up their ugly heads in the church all throughout history and try to teach Christians that because they have Christ, they can just go on living the way they always have. These teachers are those who say, you have learned Christ. You're righteous in Christ. You're forgiven by Christ. You belong to Christ. Your hope is in Christ. You're going to live with Christ in heaven for all eternity. You don't need to change anything. You don't need to change your life. You can go on living like the ungodly. You don't need to put forth effort. You don't need to endeavor and strive to put off the old ways and to put on the new ways. And they will try to make it sound pious. After all, you can't do that anyway. And if God wants to change your life, God will change your life. You don't worry about it. You just go right on the way you're living. And you don't worry about it. And if anybody tries to tell you that you have to change your life, then you just tell them that you're righteous in Christ. And that's all that matters. No, the apostle says, you have not so learned Christ. That's what he means in the text. The apostle knew about these. He speaks of them in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That's what they're saying. That's what these wily teachers were saying. They were not only saying that in Christ you have everything, but they were saying, so just continue in your sin, because then the grace of Christ will abound yet more and more. Ye have not so learned Christ, Paul says. Galatians 5, verse 13, that great epistle to the Galatians where he sets forth to them the glorious gospel that we are righteous by faith without works in Christ alone. We're set free. We have liberty, he says. And don't let anyone drag you back into the bondage of the law. But, he says, don't use your liberty as an occasion for the flesh. That's the other danger. There are teachers who want to drag you back into bondage to the law. Don't let them. But don't let the other teachers drag you into this licentiousness, into thinking that since you have liberty, you can live however you please. You don't have to change. Jude knew about these men too. In his little epistle in verse 4, he condemns them as ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lasciviousness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Revelation 2, verse 14 and 20, the Lord Jesus himself rebuked certain of the churches because they tolerated these men who taught this ungodly doctrine, the error of Balaam, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, that ungodly woman Jezebel, who entices my servants to commit fornication, saying, it doesn't matter. You belong to Christ. It doesn't matter. It's all fine. He rebukes them for that. You have not so learned Christ. It's a sad, sad thing when believers are enticed by that false doctrine and that false Christ. They lay hold upon all of the other things. Justification, atonement, reconciliation, eternal life. I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He's delivered me from all the power of the devil. I will live with him forever. But they don't want to hear. They don't want to talk 
about how we are then to live. You have not so learned Christ as to think that you can have Christ and you don't have to change anything at all. You can go on living the way you are. You've not learned that Christ. But you've learned the Christ who not only justifies, but who also sanctifies. The Christ who not only forgives, but who sets free to live a new and godly life. That's the Christ you've learned. You've learned of the Christ who sends the power of his spirit not just to regenerate you and to make you new, but then to work in you, to change you, to transform you into a new creature and to give you a beginning of a new and godly life. You've learned the Christ who works that new godly life in us through the exhortations of Scripture and the preaching, through the preaching that beseeches us, that warns us, that exhorts us to flee from fornication, to flee from adultery and all sexual immorality and all greediness and blasphemy and cussing and swearing, to flee from it, to be done with it, to put off anger and wrath and malice and envy, preaching that beseeches us and says, you belong to Christ now. That's the Christ we have learned. He's a glorious Christ. He not only forgives, but he cleanses us. That cleansing is painful. We don't want to change We don't like change because that change means we have to kill something in us that by nature we love to do. But Christ is such a glorious Savior that when he brings the gospel to us and when he saves us and forgives us and justifies us, he doesn't stop there, but he proceeds to sanctify us through that same gospel And through those exhortations, ye have not so learned Christ, he says, if so be that ye have heard him, if you have truly heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. And there he uses, for the one and only time in the epistle, the personal name of the Savior, Jesus. The truth as it is in Jesus He wants us to think back to Jesus and to his life and ministry on this earth. The Jesus who said, among other things, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden with your sins, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Come to me, receive forgiveness and righteousness, and the power to live a new and godly life. He says, My yoke is easy. My burden is light. That's the doctrine of Jesus. And what he means is, you don't have to change in order to be saved. You have to change because you've been saved. You don't have to change as the condition, as if that's some burden that God places upon you as something that you must do in order to earn, merit, work, and obtain your way into salvation. But you must change because of all that I have done for you 
And that's why it's an easy yoke and a light burden. Because if you tried to keep that law, if you tried to change as the way to merit your way into heaven, you will find that to be an intolerable burden which you'll never be able to carry. And you'll be crushed, crushed, crushed. But this is the yoke of Jesus. I've set you free. I've justified you. All of your righteousness is in me. I do not walk as the other Gentiles walk. Because you have not so learned Christ. When Christ saves us, he also says to us, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And all of that implies some serious change in the way we live. That yoke is not a hard yoke. It's a delight. It's a joy for the Christian to fight the good fight, to set aside those sinful ways, to follow Jesus, because we know what a blessed Savior he is. We know how great is his love for us, that it can never be comprehended in its height and depth and width and breadth. So we consider it a joy and a privilege. Beloved, Let us not walk as the other Gentiles walk, because we have not so learned Christ, but let us follow him. Amen. Father in heaven, we give thee thanks for the gospel, for the power of Christ in us that has changed us already in the depths of our hearts, that has brought us into his possession and by which we have righteousness and life. We thank thee, too, that thou hast taught us the true Christ, who doesn't leave us under the dominion of sin, but breaking the shackles of the devil in our lives, works in us change, so that we no longer live as the ungodly, but our lives look different Apply this to each of our hearts and lives that we may go forth today with the new resolution to put aside every sin that still cleaves to us.